Hello, good morning and good afternoon. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, good morning to people who are joining us from the East Coast and good afternoon to people who are joining us from Europe. I am Erica First, the founder of Moodly, and I am joined today from my hometown in New York by Kate Donovan. Hey, everybody. Um, and today we will be talking about holiday stress. Um, obviously, this is a time that uh, most people love, we all love, we get to eat more, party more, see our family, um, yet with all of that, that brings an additional level of stress with it um, that we may not know how to manage or that can actually ruin the holidays for us. So today, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, about some of our own stresses and things that we experience personally. And we've also done a holiday survey and we'll take a look at some of the answers that came back from that. Um, and then there were questions in that. There's about nine questions we'll go through and we'll be answering those uh, for you later. So Kate, why don't, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your plans for the holiday and what kind of stressors you come up against and how you deal with them? So one of the big sort of benefits of being in an international marriage is that we can only be with one of our families at a time. So we're lucky in that we don't have two families that are within any sort of drive from one another. So we're either with one family or we're with the other family. So that's sort of a, I know something that makes it a little bit lighter on us because we don't have to juggle two different families at the same time. And so this year we will be heading to Poland to be with my husband's family for the holidays. And I did live in Poland for six years and I speak fluent Polish, so I'm comfortable there. I feel good there as a general rule. But my family's Christmas is very cash, like very cash. So I am accustomed. <laughs> Your family in, my family in, in the States. Yeah. Yeah. is very casual and like we'll wear the Christmas pajamas and the whole deal. And my husband's family is very formal and I am just not a formal person. Like I had to remind myself to put on a necklace today because I forget things like that because I'm, it's just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very casual in every area of my life. So we have to be a little bit ready to sort of up our game. Like there's going to be certain clothes that we're going to be expected to wear and in my normal life, I would be like, please just forget it. It doesn't matter. But we see them so infrequently and it is important to them. So I feel like this is one of the things that we can do to bring them some joy and help them feel good around the holidays. That's not too, too much of an effort for us. But it is something that I have to make an effort around because it's not my nature. Right. So you know. but it's you know, it makes them happy and it's an easy win. So it's an easy win. So I'll pack a dress and it'll be what it is, you know, um, normally. <laughs> and sometimes I'll wear a dress at home, too. But it, there's just a different level of expectation around it. Um, and the way of communicating in Polish families is. Um, basically, I'm going to hear about how much weight I've gained since we moved back to the States. <laughs> <laughs> Every woman's favorite topic of conversation. Yeah, like I can't wait to talk about that. It's going to be awesome. So I know that I have to prep for that. And I know that once it comes up, I'm going to have to say and repeat multiple times. So when I have a boundary that I want to be set, 
what I do is I create a statement and then I just repeat that statement every time the subject comes up that I don't want to breach if it's something like this. So anytime my weight comes up, I'm going to say, I don't want to discuss that with you. And I'm just going to repeat okay. that same sentence over and over again. I don't want to discuss that with you. I don't, I don't right. actually want to discuss that with you. And I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm going to, it's a neutral statement. I just don't want to discuss it with you. And I'm going to repeat it every single time it comes up until it stops coming up. So sometimes okay. we think that when we create a boundary, it's over, right? Like I said that this is the way I wanted it to be. And now it's over. People need reminders and it's okay to remind them. Just don't change the verbiage. Just use the same sentence structure, the same words over and over until the point gets across. Right. So that's how I so that's protect myself. Already first first tip right out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> so articulate your boundary very clearly, politely but firmly, and then just reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. Yes. Now, do you worry, especially since they're your family and in-laws, do you worry about being perceived as rude? Um, we've been through that already. So rudeness is, as you're, as someone who's lived in multiple countries, you understand that rudeness is interpreted differently in different places. So yeah. we've come to a place where we understand each other's way of functioning. So no. Okay, good. Um, I have, you know, I have an international family as well. Um, and my mother-in-law is the very sort of stereotypical Italian mother. Um, and actually I'm divorced for over 10 years, but we still do Christmas together as a whole family to give my daughter a sense of continuity. And like you, my family's in the United States, so it's hard for us to go back and forth. Um, and our drama this year is that my ex-husband has a new living girlfriend. This is like the first sort of serious relationship. Um, and so we're all sort of navigating this new territory of trying to bring someone in, trying to respect old things, you know? So it's been um, in, uh, like emotional, but not in the way I would have expected mm. um, way, where actually every time we get into a situation that's sort of prickly like this, my ex-husband and I pull out the best of ourselves because we're like, listen, I wanna be respectful of you and your girlfriend. You know, so I'm happy to step out. And he was like, no, my mother would absolutely kill us both if you weren't there. So like, what do we have to do to make each other comfortable and also her in this situation? Cause she'll be walking into, you know a family that's been to, around for 20 years. So I, I don't envy her position as well. Yeah. Um, but it's funny that when you do sort of like check the ego and check the, and come at it rationally that like, I was able to pull out the best in him. He was able to pull out the best in me. And we had a very sort of um, very practical, <laughs> you know, how do we, we just came at it. Like, how do we all get out of this feeling happy, healthy, and not, you know, bruised in some way. So what do you need? What do you need? And what do I need? Um, and we were very clear about it. I was like, you know, here's what's important to me. Um, yeah. Here's what here's what's important to you and then we sort of just ne literally negotiated like it was a business deal um tip how number we were two, clear Christmas. communication before the holidays which is yes. not possible for some people right because yes. that requires having two adults in the room and that's not always the case that's not always the case <laughs> 
So we're just going to recognize that right from the get-go, everybody. Yes, we are going to recognize that. And actually, I'll take that as a springboard to move into the survey, because that's obviously talking about family is one of the questions that we have there. Um, so so before we uh, did this, we sent out a holiday survey. Um, these are the demographics. Now, obviously, this is not scientifically reliable. You can't generalize it to any population. But every statistic speaks for itself. And what I found really interesting was that, I mean, I posted this on numerous different boards um, and the response was 99% female. So um, this is obviously a topic that resonates very highly with women. 60% um, were single, 40% are either married or in uh, some kind of a relationship, either a domestic partnership or an actual marriage. However, um, there is no age split, right? So you don't, you're not more stressed when you're young or more stressed when you're old. It's actually really pretty fairly split across the age groups, which I found was interesting that it doesn't get easier, right? <laughs> That's the good news. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so moving on from here, so then we asked, what are your top three sources of stress? And people could answer um, three different things. And the first answer that came up here was having to spend money. Uh, the second was finding the time to do everything and then pressure to make things good for others. And this is, you know, this comes up in the next slide. Also, this idea that we have to deliver. Um, we have to make it good. And, you know, you, we were talking before about like the family obligations, like, I want to look nice for them. And for some people that may be on a much bigger scale to the point where it actually becomes a full-time job. Um, and then here is what I found absolutely fascinating is what is your single greatest source of stress was not the money, uh, which I imagined it would be, was actually people feeling obligated, people feeling obligated to have fun, people feeling obligated to do things that they didn't want to do, uh, to buy presents. And you know, it's so it's such an interesting idea that we would turn a holiday into this giant like pain in the ass thing that you have to it's another job like, oh, now I got to be happy and be with my family and, and stuff like that. So that was very interesting. Um, and then these were the questions that came up. Now, we got way more than this, um, but to make this a feasible session, I boiled them down to nine because um, they sort of cover off each of these. So we're going to take these questions one at a time now um, and go through. So how to stay calm during this crazy period? Over to go. you, Kate. Go. <laughs> All you. No pressure. So for me, <laughs> one of the things that is most beneficial, easiest, and can be done anywhere, anytime is heart-centered breathing. Now this is been researched up and down and left and right by the heart math institute i did not make this up you know i am not the the founder of this but i am a practitioner that uses the heart math institute's work um, i have done certifications with them and this really simple breathing technique might literally save your life in the next month so this is how it goes you slow down your breathing by like five percent you're not even you're not trying to do any crazy yogic breathing you're not trying to really fill up your belly you're just just slow it down a little tiny bit and then as you do you imagine that your inhales are going directly into your heart and your exhales are coming directly out of your heart 
not through your nose, down your, just pretend that they're going right into your heart and going right out from your heart, in and out, in and out. Do it for three minutes. Now, if you have a, a pretty standard breath cycle and you don't want to put a timer on to count three minutes, then you can assume five to seven breaths a minute. So you can count 15 full breaths or you know 20 full breaths about and that will be enough and so that is something that helps bring you back into alignment with yourself it's called coherence it makes your brain waves and your heart waves match up together which makes it easier for you to react in a way that's um more adult basically that it, it kind of keeps you centered enough to make adult choices and adult decisions, it, it it increases your emotional resilience and your emotional bandwidth. And you can do it eight times a day if you want. You can do it all day long if you, you know, there's no limit on it. It's not, you're not going to overdo it and you can constantly go back to it. So that's something that start practicing now, get it, make it a habit now so that when you need it, you already know what it feels like and you can just jump right into it. Even if you're in the middle of dinner, you can stop and do right. that. Nobody will know. Right. Cause you don't need to like excuse yourself. You can just do it while you're sitting there. Exactly. Um, that's fantastic. And I know, um, Roland McCready, who's the, the head of science over there is, yeah. um, has a ton of published science, uh, about sure. this. So, so it's not like a woo woo technique. There's, a, um, a lot of scientific evidence of his work and resonance and how the heart rate, um, is related to stress and stuff. So, um, that's a terrific organization. Um, did you want to add something else or? I think the I other thing <laughs> that I do, the only other thing that I do to stay calm during this period, and this will come up as a, as a tip a few times because of these questions is leave the room, go sit in the bathroom for five minutes. Yeah. Like just leave, like separate yourself physically. I need to do that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I have that on my notes too. I, I was saving it for family. Because yeah. that's where I use it the most. Where I'm like, I have to use the restroom. Excuse me, but um, getting up and leaving the room is absolutely and and even at work, you know. Because obviously these tips we're doing them in a holiday context, but these are valid anywhere. Um, one of the what I wanted to add was almost like athletes prep, right? Because you want to go into the season as solid as you can, because we know we're gonna get pulled in a thousand different directions. We're gonna be eating poorly. There's gonna be probably more alcohol if you drink or um, you know, having to talk to more people, less on time. So it's really important to eat properly, uh, sleep well, um, you know, get those really basic things. And it's always the most banal advice and people are like, don't you have anything else? But it's like so, so, so important. Um, and I'm not like espousing any specific diet, but we do tend to eat more in this period, which can weigh on our system, weigh on our digestive system and, and weigh on our moods and then cause us to react differently. So you also kind of want to make sure that you give yourself time to fully digest and sleep properly. There's some scientific evidence that full digestion is about 13 hours. So I'm not saying do intermittent um, dieting, but if you leave your body without food for 12 to 13 hours, it's able to digest everything that it has in it, which will 
make you lighter and able to um, sort of face the, the day ahead of you. Um, and of course, as I said, sleeping. One of the other things that I always like to advise is to set your mood in the morning. There is a lot of scientific evidence that says that the mood you wake up in or the mood you have that day is the one that you kind of carry with you. So when you wake up, just take five minutes, 10 minutes for yourself. And it doesn't have to be meditation. It can be, you know, just listening to a playlist or jumping up and down or watching some kind of comedy thing, but to put yourself already in really positive headspace so that you have kind of like an extra dose of armor around you as you as you head off into the family. <laughs> um, so let me get to the next question, which is my personal fave because I grew up with a, a crazy family, um, but how to deal with family. And the sort of the three areas that we got here was people having toxic family members, spending too much time together, and then old family dynamics. So there's a really interesting study that shows that when you are with your family of origin, that if you're together for anything over two hours, I think it's 48 minutes or 47 minutes. There's a very specific number that I don't remember exactly, but just short of three hours that you fall back into the role that you had as a child. Yeah. Right. So I just want everybody to think about that for a minute. You're going to immediately within a couple of hours, you're going to fall back into a role that you used to play that might not even be the person that you are anymore, but your family members expect it from you because when you're together, that's what happens, right? So the having an awareness around the fact that this happens will allow you to control it a little more and will allow yeah. you to just notice the shift when it's happening. Or it might be that you start limiting your family visits to three hours. So that you're out of there in time. I mean, that's quick. I have had people Bye. do that. Like at the at the two and a half hour mark, go for a walk. Get yourself right. out of there for a minute so that you can sort of delay this turning into the person you used to be before you did all sorts of personal growth and and other things like that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, and I love that study. That's, and it's so true. I see it even in myself, you know, um, when I, my mom and I, obviously we have an ocean between us and there is a reason, but even now it's like, when we see each other, I'll go there with the best intentions, you know, like, mm, and, and there's a moment and I always feel it when it happens where she just presses the exact right nerve and, and it's like no time has passed. I'm, I'm 17 years old again, fighting for my independence. Yeah. Um, and I think to, to add to that, not only, um, I like to have a strategy, right? Because I feel like if you going to your point of like planning ahead or knowing that it's gonna happen, when, when we feel armed and ready, like, okay, if this happens to me, here's what I'm gonna do. We're already more prepared to deal with it. And so it causes us less stress because most of our stress comes from a feeling of not being adequately uh, equipped to respond to, to what's happening to us. So if you know that your family is going to, at a certain point, put you back to a, a place that you as a human being have evolved way out of, um, and then you also have a strategy for your response or what you're going to say or what you're going to do that in itself provides you an extra amount of protection. So I always say like have a mantra that when they, they 
you know, when they say that thing or when they ask you that question, there's always one trigger. So when the, the trigger hits, then you just repeat like, this is not me, this is not me, this is not me, this is not me. Like pick one sentence, like you said at the beginning, and just repeat it to yourself again and again and again until you're able to kind of uh, unwire the amygdala hijack that's happening. So your back of your brain doesn't take over and you stay in sort of the front part where you're like, no, no, I got this, I got this, I got this. Um, or like you said, go to the bathroom, go for a walk, the oxygen uh, is already like a mood cleanser. And so just breathing in fresh air is kind of like, we'll switch off that, um, that response for you. Uh, but one of the other things I wanted to bring up, because this also came up in another study from Very Well Mind, is obviously in the United States, things are kind of politically charged in a way that they haven't been in the past. And um, a lot of people are not necessarily on the same side of some important arguments. And I would just say, because this came up in one of the questions, is you will never change anybody's mind. So do not broach any conversation. Don't engage. Don't take the bait. Just let it go, right? Because otherwise it's going to blow up immediately because sometimes people are taunted on purpose. So if you have one of those families where there are members on two completely opposing sides, just know that there is no amount of convincing on any of the arguments on either side um, that is going to change anybody's mind. And then especially just keep... Yes, exactly. Um, and especially if there's also like a little bit of alcohol flowing because things can get really messy there and things can be said and that you know it's tough to take back so just try try and always be the adult in the room and remember that it's only a couple of days and it will be over soon um so let's move on to the next one this was a question said how do i get a sense of control back and how can i say no to all the people expecting something from me and i just before i turn it over to you i just wanted to read this or not read it but highlight this um, article that came from a study in uh, California psychology uh, magazine from a couple of decades ago that talks about the role of boundaries, right? And this is what you were talking about at the beginning. Boundaries are not mean. They are not, I am pushing you away so much as they are a declaration of I myself deserve to have this space and this is who I am. And uh, and one of the sentences that I love here is it it's... Um, the mutuality that exchanges control of another in favor of honor of another, right? So if I do what you want me to, I am letting you control me. If I say, no, this is who I am and how I want it to go, then that requires you to honor that request and honor who I am. Um, so what do you, what advice would you give Kate to how to get a sense of control back? So I think the, the next question is even more important. So how do I say no to all the people expecting something from me? And yes. The first uh, rule in my world around this is instead of focusing on saying no, be sure that you haven't said yes inadvertently. Right. So there might be something that you assume that someone is expecting from you that they have not asked you for outright. And if they haven't asked you for it outright, don't do it. Right. And don't volunteer yourself for things just because you've done them in the past. So before we get around to saying no, we have to first stop saying yes. 
So in yeah. order to stop saying yes, we don't necessarily need to say no, right? It's not, you. a lot of times we are just continuing stuff because it's been done that way in the past because we are making assumptions about expectations and nobody really wants them or needs them anymore. So I can't tell you how many times I've worked with someone who has said, you know, I have all these things that I need to do and I've always done it this way and my daughter expects it and my son, and da, da, da. And I say, well, have you asked them if they actually do expect it? Have you, have we broached this? Have you tried not doing it and seeing what happens? And about 60% of the time, people are like, oh God, thank God. No, you don't need to do that anymore. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> like also, please stop. <laughs> please stop. Right. So right. there's a lot of assumptions about what you should be doing. So before you even look to saying no, Look at all the things that you've taken on without even talking to anyone and check if they still really need to be done. Like if you're still buying gifts for your 45 year old children, <laughs> it might be time to let that go and say, you guys, let's do a nice dinner together after the holidays. Like there's no, come on, right? There are things that can change. There are things that can shift. So I think looking at what you have already decided is on your le yes list that has been discussed with no one and just crossing some things off first is the best way to start. Um, and that is fabulous advice. And you know, what's so funny is my mother still like, I asked her to stop sending me gifts also because I don't need anything. Um, if I do, I'll buy it for myself. And then sometimes she sends us gifts that then I have to pay Customs taxes on, on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and not only that but then i have to like fight with the italian government to get it out of yeah you know if you said you can't send soap here for some odd reason so if she sends me a soap then i have to deal with the roman so i'm like every year like please i beg you stop sending me <laughs> presents but not yeah gonna so happen. if somebody's saying please you don't need to do this anymore they probably mean it Yes. So, and take it from me. Um, I, if, if we actually come and say like, please don't do this. I don't need it. It's not being kind. It, it may actually just be short of like, really, please stop. Um, and this actually kind of blends into the next question, which is then how can I manage everything? And obviously the first point would be like, make sure don't. you're not taking on things that don't need to be happening. Yeah, exactly. And then if, so if you've gotten an invite to a party and you every year to this party, you always bring the mini cupcakes and you make them from scratch because that's who you are. And at the end of the party, there's or there's always 12 extra desserts left over because nobody can eat all that damn food. Right. Don't make the freaking cupcakes. <laughs> Just stop it. Unless, and here's the one of the other things, which I, I think I'll mention again later, is unless you want to, but the, understand the difference between wants and have to, and just simply reframing that in your own mind will change the stress. Because if you say, I have to make these, then it's an obligation and you feel pressure to do it. If you say, no, I choose to do these because I want to, but nobody's asking me for them, that's actually a very empowered choice. But the response is very different. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it would, it's not even a bad idea to bring things up to people because I think if we all model doing a little bit less, we give each other permission to do a little bit less. So say there's this party that you always bring the cupcakes for and you call the hostess and you say, you know, we usually end up with all these extra desserts at the end of the night. And I don't know if that's the way you want it. I don't know if you want those things in your house for a full week before Christmas. And so do you want me to still bring them or would you prefer that I skip it, maybe bring something else or do something different so that you don't have all of these leftovers? It might give her permission to also do less. Yeah. You know, so uh, the more the less we each each of us does, the less we can all do. We need to model this for each other. Yeah. And that's that's fantastic um, advice, because I know from a friend of mine, like we have parties over the summer and all of us, we felt like the expectation, like you don't want to be the rude one and not bring something. But then we were actually putting her in a position that she didn't want to be in because she had all this food left over. She didn't want to throw it out, but she also didn't want to eat it. So once we were able to have a very open, honest conversation about and it kind of took her also saying like, would you mind doing less? Um, which she was afraid of of asking because she thought it would offend us. But I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would I mind? No. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> yeah. So if you know somebody in your world that could do less, also use this as an opportunity to say, hey, listen, you always do so much. We love you. We appreciate you. And you could do half as much. And we would still love you and appreciate you. We don't need all that extra. Yes. And I think also, so if you are then going to go ahead and do the thing you want to do, um, my advice in terms of like trying to also manage everything is to be extremely realistic, right? These are stores are crowded. Uh, you know, there's still a pandemic going on. Um, people are more distracted. Lots of workers are more distracted, making more mistakes. Um, lines can be longer. Things can be inconvenienced. The expectation of being able to just like tick things off one after the other is unrealistic, which is going to make you even more stressed because you're like, I had these thousand things that I needed to get done today and I've only been able to do four. Um, so to actually make like a realistic, feasible plan that builds into it, that life is a little bit more challenging right now. And that you also need some downtime. So it's like, I'm not going to do 100 things today, I'm going to do 10. And I'll see if there's any way I can outsource the other things that I need to ask for help. I know from someone who is a toxic overachiever myself, asking for help sounds like insane, but it works. And people are actually, I'm always surprised at how giving people are when you say like, can you help? They're like, yes, please. I'd be happy to. Um, so see what you do. Or as, as Kate was saying, have a conversation with the people that you're involved with in the holiday and be like, what can we take off of each other's to-do list? Like, what don't we need? And it's not a, there's something in our brains that when we downsize is like, oh, it's worse. Um, it's not because it's making you less stressed. It's giving you less things to spend money on, less uh, distractions and allowing you to be more focused and helping you get back to a more original, let's say, state of 
holiday bliss. Um, so let's move on to the next one, which uh, I found these statistics absolutely fascinating. Of course, these come from the United States because um, we don't really do studies like this over here in Europe. Um, how do I deal with financial obligations? As many as 56, and this is from 2021, 56% of shoppers have made a purchase with buy now, pay later services that they couldn't pay off. So people are actively getting into debt to to handle Christmas. And I read another statistic that said that it's about three months worth of debt. Um, and then last, this came from December of 2020, it said that the holiday debt averaged $1,381 in 2020, reaching a six year high. What, what gives? How do we convince ourselves that we don't need to spend this money? <laughs> Well, first, if you're all if you've already taken some things off your list, so if you're not making the damn cupcakes, you won't be spending money on cupcake ingredients. So congratulations. Not only do you have less to do, but you have less to spend at the same time. Um, in my family, we really work hard towards sort of experience gifts that don't necessarily need to be bought at the holidays. So at the holidays, what we do is we plan something that we're going to do later in the year. And usually it involves some sort of, it's like a Broadway show or some sort of event that we can all go to. Of course, that has been more difficult over the past couple of years, but as we're all adults now, like there's really no reason for my parents to be buying us, like you said, like I'd, if I want something, I buy it. I don't need my mother to send me gifts. Like that's not, not how things are working anymore. So we, instead of making a commitment to spending money on each other at the actual holidays. We say we usually plan something for sometime in the winter, usually up until April, and we spend the money later. So that's one way of doing it is saying, hey, here's a promise. Here's a promissory note that we're going to do this thing together later in the year. That's one thing. I think the other thing is just stop. Sometimes that's the only advice. <laughs> Just stop. Like I there was a somebody was I'm I'm in a group on Facebook that is, talks a lot about finances and somebody was like, "Okay, here's my budget." And it said, "You know, birthday gift for child 1, birthday gift for child 2, and the budget was $750." And I was like, "How are you spending $1500 a year on birthday gifts for two people?" That's nuts. I don't care how much money you have. Yeah. We just don't need to spend that much. So spend less. Yeah. Buy less. Stop it. I, I think another good thing that I think is um is important is like there's a a company that I love called the Good Goods Store. And they make um it's not wrapping paper, they make like gift bags that are reusable and made out of cloth that can be wrapped around any shape and things like that. And that's something that can be reused over and over and over and over again. So you kind of spend maybe a little bit more on the out front, but then you use those same bags for like years, right? So being careful about, and then you save all the paper, which is important. Right. Um, and I think some other, I love the idea of your family doing a collective thing because that's one of the i think there's two ways you can kind of deal with your family and the first is to agree across the board on if like if you insist on doing presents agree on a maximum like no more than 15 bucks a person um 
you know, I have a conversation frequently, like with all of my friends that it's easier for me to, to just buy what I want and be happy. And then you buy for you what you want. And then we all come to Christmas happy instead of having to worry about like, did I get the right thing? Was it enough? Did she spend more than me? Blah, blah, blah. So the first way is to agree amongst the family that no one is going to spend more than this. As you also said, and you know, obviously I don't want to make any judgments on how people's families are, but in my extended family, we agreed that we only give gifts to the kids. Um, and then I'll do something small for my in-laws, but you know, just a sort of a token of appreciation for yeah. con continuing to be my family. I don't go out and search for giant things anymore. Um, but we've never given like the cousins and the I mean, also because I'm I'm an ex-wife, so <laughs> there's also that. Um, but we don't give each other gifts anymore. So that was one way we dealt with it. The other is to put a price limit on it. Another is to make it fun. Um, we do, and I wrote this in my my LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago. When I was uh, still working, my team we had this thing called Trash Santa, and the limit was fifteen dollars. You couldn't spend more than fifteen dollars, but there was a prize and it was never like a real prize, but there was a prize um, for the worst gift. And people would spend their whole year looking for the worst gift. And so it was like giving us joy all year long. And then we had this fabulous dinner together where we exchanged presents and each one was funnier than the next. And you got to see people like really bring out their creative sides. And I still get, I haven't worked in that company for six years and we still text each other, like, should we do a trash Santa this year? Like, is it, you know, and, and we'll send each other pictures. Like I saw this and this was good for trash Santa. So I think that's fun for families to do as well. And then the third thing following in your idea is pick something um, good to do, right? Like we're going to, build a house for this under, you know, do, do something for someone else as a family so that you give a gift to each other. And there's uh, research that shows that actually giving to others to collectively, you know, increases your sense of gratitude and your sense of joy and makes you makes you happy for longer, knowing that you've made other people's lives better, gives you the connectivity between your family. So to find like a communal project that you can do together that doesn't require a lot of money, where everybody chips in and it's for a higher good. Yeah. So this is actually something that my family um, did growing up. I have a lot of cousins, like way too many cousins. Um, my father is one of nine. So there's hmm. 19 of us on that side of the family. So my it, it was impossible to be buying Christmas gifts for all of the cousins. Like no, nobody can afford to do that. So each family used to come to Christmas dinner with a check for whatever they could afford, a check at that time, you know, of course, this is whatever, right. 1986 here, people. But it was, if it was 10 bucks, it was 10 bucks, like that, that was fine. So everybody put the checks that they could afford in one bag. And in the other bag, everybody wrote the name of a charity that they loved, wanted to support, whatever. And then one of the kids would pick out a name of the charity from the bag and all of the checks would be written out to that one charity. And we'd send a letter saying, this is our family tradition. This is how we celebrate, you know, et cetera. And it was, that was all the gifts for all the cousins. And it was made fun because we had this little game of like, which charity is it going to be? 
you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next one. How can I manage, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but how can I manage this constant sense of obligation to others? And I just put quickly here, there was a, a longitudinal study that was published last year that showed that light obligation is actually good for relationships and for personal well-being because it gives you a sense of being connected to somebody else. However, heavy obligation can be detrimental to personal well-being. So that sense of feeling like you have to do everything is actually damaging to your own well-being. And what is sort of a mitigating factor here is reciprocity. So if you are the only one doing everything, that's why it's an obligation because there is no sharing. There is no giving and no receiving. There is just you doing the stuff. So if you find yourself in a position where you are the only one doing stuff and you feel all this obligation, know that it is actually having a very significant impact on your well-being. And how would you suggest people, I mean, on top of what we've already said, what else would you say here to, to free yourself from this burden? So I think the reciprocity is a major factor, and I think that should be brought into one more level, because when the reciprocity is also a heavy obligation on both sides, it's still a heavy obligation. So you can have yeah. reciprocity, but both people who always bought each other really expensive gifts. So they still buy each right. other really expensive gifts. And that is it's not fun anymore because it's too much of an obligation. So in order to manage this, I think the, the first step, which might sound a little bit counterintuitive, is to release people of the obligation from your side. Say, hey, listen, I know we've done it like this for a long time, but I don't need you to do that for me anymore. What can we do different to make it more fun again? Like take the first step of releasing someone else from an obligation and then see what happens. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. The idea of taking the first step instead of waiting, because like we said before, like maybe someone else is like, Oh, okay. I have, to, I have to, if everyone's saying I have to, the whole thing is weighted and it's not a nice interaction for anyone. Yeah. Um, and I actually just want to also echo here something that you said before, and it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but the best advice I can give you is just say no. Yeah, don't <laughs> like, do it. How do I say no? No, thank you. Like, literally, especially we're, and this is an ideal time to instill change because everything is up for grabs. So if there's a lot of family patterns or, uh, you know, historical patterns that are going on about, we've always done it this way, just use the philosophical idea. It's like, Hey, things are like all kind of mixed up now. What if we did something different? Just launch the idea out there. Now there will always be someone who's obstinate and doesn't want to do that. Like my mother-in-law, but then you bring them a solution that makes them happy. You know, the rest of us are going to work out how we did it. And then we're going to bring it to you as here's this new change. And here's, here's how we're going to do things. But it starts with, you know, you being willing to take a step back and say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, all right. Next one. How to reframe. I love this. This question is so important. We could do an hour on this alone. Um, so I'll try and condense it. And I apologize for the smallness of that um, this, or that diagram there. It basically shows that when you have high expectations and they're not met, you get into a bad mood and you don't snap out of that bad mood until something then exceeds your expectations. 
And one of the, I found another study that's super interesting that talked to a whole bunch of people who had big plans for New Year's Eve, and they found that 83% of people who had big plans on New Year's Eve were disappointed. And the people who had lower expectations and spent less were happier. So the bottom line is that the lower your expect or the more open your expectations are, let's not even say lower, the more open your expectations are, the greater the chance you have of being happy. How do you reframe expectations outside of saying just don't have them, which is very hard? <laughs> I think it's to focus on the things that you know actually are fun. Like to, this is about knowing yourself, about knowing the moments that are actually joyful for you and focusing on those and, and sort of and, and letting go of the rest. Like not every single part of it has to be super joyful. So I was a bartender for a long time um, going through college and, and through my master's degree. And New Year's Eve, we call in the bartending world, we call New Year's Eve amateur hour because all the people that don't drink that much all year are out like partying their faces off and not tipping well enough. And the and bars get too expensive and there's too many rules and there's cover fees and it's just a big nightmare. And so I always worked on that day because I knew better than to think that I was going to have fun in that kind of situation. And also, like, I don't do well in really big groups of people. And I know that already. So for me, if I have like these big events that I have to go to, I, tr I try to only say yes to so many of them because I can't have that much fun three days in a row. <laughs> That's not fun for me. It right. sounds good but it's not good for me. So I think it's about really knowing yourself and knowing which parts of things you really, really enjoy and focusing and, on those. Right. And putting boundaries down and being faithful to yourself to give you what you need. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think I have. Yeah. So this is an interesting, I want to share this also. So from University College London study, they've uh, developed this app called the Happiness Project. And um, they just released some of their findings here, which I found were really interesting because we talk about like, I'm going to have so much fun. Like I'm going to be happy. Uh, and they've actually been working on an equation for happiness and they have it. And it was like way too mathematical for me to even post here. Um, but some of the facts that they found was that happiness in the users, that happiness didn't depend on how well they were doing, but whether they were doing better than expected, which means that your happiness is not some sort of finite destination because it's constantly moving forward. Um, and so it is always just outside of reach, right? So. It, based on your expectations of where you're supposed to be, if you're doing better, then you're happy. If you're not, then you're not. So your expectations are directly connected to your ability to feel happiness. Um, reducing your expectations, and this is also interesting, reducing your expectations in the moment increases the likelihood of positive surprise. However, chronically belittling your expectations your expectations is counterproductive. And so this is like, if you're, oh, I'm never gonna get that. I'm never gonna have fun. I'm never gonna like that person. Uh, that is not healthy either. You wanna stay the thing of like, I would like to do that. I think that sounds interesting. Let's see what happens because then you create space for anything to come to you. And sometimes the thing that you want isn't the right thing for you. Something else is good for you and you can't see it because you're so focused on the one thing that you have to get. 
Another thing very interesting, most events don't affect happiness for long. It is fleeting. Why? Because it is a state, is a physiological state as well. And your body is not wired to stay happy for long. It always tries to go back to neutral. Um, so their advice was to manage your expectations. And I love this, to think of happiness as a tool and not a goal. And this quote from the Professor Rutledge, who's been running this study in the app, is that happiness tells you what you care about and what you value. Um, it tells you when you're enjoying what you're doing and what motivates you. And it also tells you, it's a signal, that when you're not feeling happy anymore, that it's time to try something new. So especially around like talking about these holidays and I'm not enjoying the holidays, I'm not enjoying the stress, I'm not enjoying my family. Okay, well something new needs to happen there so that we can mix that up a little bit. And then I will explain this picture. <laughs> so one of the questions we got was, how can I get back to a less commercial transactional experience and get back to the real meaning of the holidays? And this image here is of Saturnalia, which was an ancient Roman feast, which is kind of where the gift giving idea started. Um, but it was done with a different idea. Uh, basically, it was like the it was held at the end of December. Everybody was tucking in for the long, hard winter. You know, you didn't know if if everybody was going to make it through the winter. You didn't. Some people didn't have supplies, and so what they would do is whatever I had excess of, I would share with the people in my community. So if I was the cheese maker, I would share and gift cheese to everybody else. If I had the cows, I would share the meat. If I had the wood, I would share the wood. So the gift giving was not to make you happy or to show you how much cheese I had, literally, but, but to ensure that we could all continue to thrive for another day and for another season. And so that I think is really so interesting to going, the idea of going back to what the original sentiment was. The original sentiment was not to show off or to make you happy or to give you something that you didn't need. It was to enrich you, to make sure that you were okay and equipped to face life again. Um, what do you, What advice would you give for how to get back to an original state of holiday happiness. I don't know if there's an original state because this means the real meaning of the holidays means so many different things to so many people. And I want to, I want to respect that, but what does it mean to you? I think is the first question is the exchange part of it. Is it more religious to you? Is it, whatever it happens to be like now we're talking about this, but it's already December 15th and Hanukkah is over. So we've already missed, you know, Miss. we've already missed that. Um, so this time of year means different things to different people. Do you know what it means to you? And if you don't have a religious, I don't have a religious spin on the holidays at all. It's not my, my personal system, but if you, do have a religious spin, are you honoring it enough? If you don't have a religious spin, what are you honoring? Right? Yeah, I love that. Just trying to figure out what it really, what what does it mean to you? For me, this is about being together, sharing time. I do enjoy the sort of festival of lights like this is the time of year where we have the least amount of light right so this is where we're supposed to bring light in so how can i bring light to people 
I think that that's important to me, but that's me. So in order to get back to whatever the real meaning is, first, you have to know what that is for yourself. What is. Yeah. What, what is it for you? And I just read a study this morning that um, the level of religion has gone down drastically in the U.S. in the past 10 years. So if it's not religious for you, which is fine, then what would you like it to be? How would you like to yeah. celebrate each other? And then build from there. That's great. I love that because it does mean something different to everyone and everyone's going to have a different way of expressing it. And then going back to what you said, you know, figure out what it is and then how do I, what do I need to change to get it to that place? So if it's yeah. not delivering on my, on my spiritual need, what do I need to shift in these, these habits to bring the spirituality back in? Okay, and then this one, this is always a tough one because of course we talk about, for better, for worse, you know, family dynamics, sharing, having too many things to do, but there is also, you know, that not everybody has that situation. And um, particularly given what's happened in the last few years, some families may be hit harder and this is not a happy time of the year. Um, now, so I had, and you know, uh, when I divorced 10 years ago, I spent um, a New Year's Eve, my first New Year's Eve alone. I say my first because it was, you know, I was terrified to do it. And after I did that, I now spend New Year's Eve alone frequently. <laughs> um, but at, at the time, like I felt like I didn't have any friends. I'd been cut off from the world. I had sort of this sort of pity party for myself. Um, and I it probably overindulged it and before, and I realized it was happening. And so what I started to do was actually make a tradition for myself. Like I made it mean something to me. Um, if it wasn't going to be about parties, if it wasn't going to, and I didn't want to feel sort of isolated from the world, what could I do to make this day meaningful for myself so that I didn't feel like I was being abandoned, um, but that I was actually being enriched. And I have my own little things that I do. I sort of do like a, an annual analysis, like what, how much have I grown? It's really the only, one of the only times that I actually stop and pay attention to and sort of celebrate the shifts, the emotional shifts where I was the year before and where I am now. Um, but I, I want to mention these quotes here from my favorite scientist, which might be a funny thing to say, but she is, uh, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett from Northeastern University. And she says that people feel depressed when they fail to live up to their own ideals, which I think is so interesting because these are judgments that we are putting on ourselves. I should be doing more. I should be somewhere else. I should be surrounded by friends, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think this other question is quite interesting, especially in a feeling of in knowing how to deal with being alone or loneliness is ask yourself, do you want empathy or do you want a solution? Um, because those are two different things. And so do you reach out to other people that can help um, alleviate that? Or do you just need something to do? And then I love this last piece of advice from her. Um, and she does a lot of studies in the, the connections between our emotions, our thoughts and uh, neuroscience. Um, by more clearly identifying our feelings or by recategorize them, we reduce our suffering and increase well-being. If you give loneliness a different name that, um, for what you're feeling, you will change how you are feeling. Uh, so if you say bored or isolated or something else, finding a different term other than loneliness 
you will actually change how you're feeling about it and potentially change the solution that you need. Do you, Kate, have any um, anti-lonely <laughs> solutions? Volunteer. The One of the biggest things about being loneliness is having, you don't get the oxytocin release, right? You don't get that connective, that connection hormone. Um, and one of the best ways to get it is to volunteer. Yep. Give. Yeah, I love that. And and that actually brings me to this next slide, which um, is another thing. And I think that the one of the beauty of the internet is that it's allowed us to find our chosen family as opposed to our natal family. You can connect on Reddit, on Facebook, on Instagram, of people who are in your tribe of interests, or even in your tribe of life stage thing, you know, there's so many ways to connect with other people that are like you that aren't in your immediate physical space. Um, and this study here was talking about, um, this was just published a few weeks ago, actually, of thinking of family as an adjective, as opposed to a noun, that, um, that you can, by changing the term and thinking of family outside of being blood related or legally related or house structure, that you can actually then do family every day with other people. So what is your definition of family and what are the behaviors that are involved in that? And who else can you do it with that may not be um, related to you? Because let's be honest, not all families are happy you know some people live in really hideously tragic situations so family isn't always the be all end all so it's like what do we what behaviors or what desires do we associate with family and how can we get them outside of this sort of traditional nucleus um i don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add kate i think that's pretty clear <laughs> Um, I was also just going to add for the other things like volunteer was definitely on mine. Create a personal tradition. Um, take a class. You know, there, nothing uh, makes you, you produce new neurons and you get happier. Take an online class. Use the time functionally. You're investing in yourself. You know, find a way instead of being lonely, find a new way to connect with other people. Do like a cooking class or or something else where there's some sort of interaction. Um but yeah, so those are all the questions and we're actually at the end of our session, perfectly on time. Told you I was a fast talker. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had some doubts if we were gonna make it. Um, I wanna say thank you so much to Kate for being here with us today and for sharing her precious knowledge and advice. Thanks for having um, me. It's always good, to, always good to hang with you, Erica. Awesome. Um, yes, it's entirely my pleasure. And I just want to give everybody a heads up. I will be doing another LinkedIn Live in January, um, which I'm calling the Resolution Revolution. 75% of people make New Year's resolutions in January about things that they would like to change in their lifestyle. And by, 80, by February, 80% 80 of them are no longer doing them. Now, this is not your fault. Our brain hates change. It doesn't want you to change your habits. But if you understand how the brain works and the dynamics, there's a couple of hacks you can do to actually instill the changes in your life that you want to. So I'll be taking you through those. In the meantime, we both wish you a very, very happy holiday season. 
peaceful and stress-free and many, many wishes for a beautiful new year. Thank you for being with us.